Hello, badasses. Welcome to the Amy Edwards Show. I'm your host, Amy Edwards. Oh my God. I know what you're going to... You already know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say I'm so excited about this conversation because I am. It is so good. So good. Uh, So we're talking to Ryan Sprague today. Ryan is a cannabis coach. So when I was connected to Ryan through a mutual friend, Shaker, thank you, I wasn't sure that this was a fit. If you've been following the podcast at all, then quick update or refresh, I don't use cannabis. I'm sober right now, completely across the board. And it is a huge part of what my partner, Justin, was addicted to last year that he had to go to rehab for. So I just thought, I don't know if this is the right fit. So when Ryan and I connected, I just told him straight up, I said, this is my perspective and where I'm coming from. But I have a lot of friends who use cannabis. I have definitely used it in a not conscious way throughout my life. And Justin had too. And so I knew that there was a lot of value in what we could possibly talk about. So Ryan was like, these are some of my favorite conversations. Let's give it a shot. And I said, great. So he showed up and we instantly connected. I just love this guy. He came with his producer, Shlomo, who did an amazing job, and his partner, Rachel, who is absolutely lovely. So we had such a fun conversation. I really was so just impressed by his knowledge and his approach to using cannabis in a very conscious way. So if you have at all used cannabis in your life or not, or you're just cannabis curious, this is very enlightening. He has a podcast called Highly Optimized, and he has another one called This One Time on Psychedelics. So he has me, at the same time we recorded one with me on his for Highly Optimized, where he talks to thought leaders, um, from all walks of life. So I was honored to be a guest on his. You can check that out too if you want to, or just check out his podcast in general. He is a bundle of energy and an absolutely amazing man and putting some really cool stuff out in the world. I I just, with my whole heart, loved this conversation and loved who he is. I mean, I, a part of me was like, oh, I guess he shows up, you know, high on cannabis, <laughs> but he does not. He does not live his life that way. The way he uses it now is so conscious that it's just less and less and less. And now it's just occasionally on the weekends or we get into some sex magic too. And we have a conversation about that, which he says he doesn't usually talk about. So I really, really enjoyed getting into that aspect of it too, because so many people I know use it. And that's just another option of how you can optimize it in a ritual way and in a very conscious way. So this is a very cool conversation. Thank you so much to Ryan for the way he showed up with a producer and just, I mean, it was just amazing. He lives in Boston. He's based there and they were just visiting and he knocked out a whole bunch of podcasts here in Austin. So I was glad to be on the roster and glad that I got to spend some time hearing from him and his history of interactions with cannabis and how he's grown into this and how he is helping people across the board live a more transformed, conscious, and higher vibing, more optimized life by getting more conscious about their cannabis use. How cool is that? 
And so anyway, I'm just so excited. I'll let the rest of it speak, speak for itself. And I'm so excited. And of course, you can find him online at the real Ryan Sprague, S-P-R-A-G-U-E on Instagram, or go to his link tree, which is highly underscore optimized. And that's available on his Instagram. And I'm going to have links to everything in the show notes, including his new program that he talks about today, which is really, really cool. So let's get to it today with cannabis coach and host of highly optimized Ryan Sprague. Welcome to the show, to the Amy Edwards Show, Ryan Sprague, Cannabis Coach. Yes. I'm so excited to welcome you today and sit down with you. And I've already gotten to spend a few minutes with you, and I love you already. Oh, thank you so much. And Shlomo. (laughs) So you've got a team here, and I'm so excited to connect with you. Thank you. It's so amazing to be here, Amy. You know, when I looked into your work and Shaker introduced us, you know, I was blown away by just your positivity, you know, and your radiating energy. And that's something where, like, literally, when I see that, it's like, that's what I love to do. And so I'm very high energy. And so when I see other people, that have that, I immediately get attracted to them. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> I could tell you were that way too. Oh, thank you. I actually connect with that energy too. And I was like, he just seems like a nice person oh, and a good you. person. That's the type of person I strive to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're definitely crushing it. So well, <laughs> kudos thank to you. you. As are you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and this just, you know, flowed into both of our lives just suddenly. And I know you're in Austin for a short time and just hitting the circuit with a lot of great people. So I'm yeah. so excited and honored to be on that list. Oh, in thank both you ways. so much. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So um, I am excited to just hear kind of what your aha moment was for moving into the work that you do, mm. if there was one. Yeah. You know, because I, I I think just sh- telling you a little bit about my relationship with cannabis, mm-hmm. it's been, I mean, I went to college in the early 90s. You know what we were doing. I mean, yep. well, I'm, I'm sure you've heard anyway. And I mean, that was kind of where I started with weed and... Mm. Uh, I wasn't great at it. My mind gets out of whack with Mm -hmm. it. And then I I haven't done a lot with it and definitely nothing conscious. Mm. And then Justin was addicted last year Mm. and had to go to treatment, not only for that, but for other things. But that was such a huge part of it that I experienced some resistance around it. Mm. And so I'm very curious what your story is and how you're teaching people. So I'm excited to talk about that because I think it can bring so much value to so many people that I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, this is one thing I love talking about because cannabis is a very slippery slope because there's no guidance out there around it. And it's so easy to fall into patterns of dependency or addiction with it. And so my whole story started with when I was 16, I was diagnosed with anxiety and I went to the doctor and tried every pharmaceutical that they recommended. And with everyone that didn't work, I was stuck like thinking like, is this the way my life is going to be forever? Which ones did you, what did they give you? Paxil, Zoloft, Prozac, like so many different ones, Ativan, Lorazepam, mm-hmm. um, Xanax. They, they tried a bunch of different things and every single one of them, they just made me feel more disconnected from myself. And more anxious. It's yeah. like kind of like the wrong, wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like, guys, you're supposed to be helping with my anxiety, not making it worse, you know? And so I was kind of going through this like experimental phase where I was like, what do I try here? And so I was talking to one of my friends about it and he recommended cannabis. He was like, Hey, you know, being 16, of course, the language is probably different at this time, but he was like, Hey, I'm experiencing something similar to what your anxiety sounds like. And I've been using cannabis and it seems to be helping. What year was this? This was, uh, uh, I'm so I'm 31. So this was 
2007, 2006, 2007, okay. right around there. So cannabis was still fully illegal in Boston. Right now it's fully legal there. But it was interesting because at that point, my only experience with cannabis was watching a lot of my friends do it. And it just seemed like that burnout, lazy stoner drug, right? And so that was my stigma on it when I got into it. And so I tried it because I was like, well, what else do I have to lose here? You know, I didn't, I, I knew I wasn't going to try it and end up getting directly into it because I had all these anxieties around what cannabis was. And that's actually where my anxiety kind of helped me out, you know, yeah. in a lot of ways. But, you know, when I tried it, it took me about three times to get the desired effect because, you know, when you try something new, you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be feeling. Yeah. So the first time that it really hit me, I was doing minimum effective dosing, not because I knew that was a thing, but just because I was very anxious that I was going to lose my mind or something. And so I was trying, you know, hit by hit, and the first time that it really hit me good, I just felt connected to myself. And I probably wouldn't describe it that way at that time. But like mm -hmm. looking back on it in hindsight, that's how I would describe it. And so I thought, wow, this is really cool. But of course, I have no guidance. So I started using more and more of it. Mm -hmm. And it was helping. But at the same time, it was an externalization of power because I wasn't really catching the message or the lesson that it had to teach me. I was just using it to mitigate anxiety. And then the anxiety would come back. I'd use more. And so that's where the slippery slope can come in with many people, totally. you know, because these plants are here to teach us things. But if we don't understand that they're not actually the moon or sun, they're just the finger that can point us back to it when we get disoriented, mm -hmm. then we end up mistaking them as the moon and sun. And so therefore, we think we need them to get the desired results or to have these profound experiences, etc. And so I thought that was amazing enough. Like, wow, this is incredible. This plant really works for me. And then when I was 18... Did you tell your parents or tell like... So it was funny because at that time, I was always really close with both my parents. My mom was kind of the one that I could tell that stuff to. My father, he was kind of like a, I just don't want to know type person. And my house, like my parents' house was always the hangout house. So they always said like, hey, we'd rather your friends all be here. We know where you're at. So they didn't condone it. But at the same time, they kind of looked the other way a little bit. Sure. They imagined like... You know, my dad told me in later years, and we'll get into it, that he's like, I knew you guys were probably interacting with cannabis and mm -hmm. things like this. And so, you know, by the time... Did he say interacting with cannabis? <laughs> you know, he said, <laughs> I thought you guys were probably smoking grass, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, Dad, can you stop calling it grass? Like, this is really embarrassing, you know? And so I was like, your age is showing, Dad, you know? And so, and he had tried cannabis a couple times in the 70s. And sure. actually, a really funny story that I've never told, uh, so I'm going to tell awesome. it here. He, uh, the one story he told me, because as this story progresses, you'll see that him and I actually connected with cannabis and everything. But he told me that the one time he had tried cannabis, he was at his house with his first wife and they got some cannabis and they smoked it and they heard a police siren outside, like, just like you hear, just like not close at all. And they closed all the window shades and hid under the table for like five hours. And that was his experience with cannabis. Then he never did it again. So, so it was pretty funny, you know, and I definitely understood why I'm like, okay, those things can happen with cannabis for sure. And we can get into paranoia and anxiety and things like that. But, you know, after, uh, I graduated high school, I was 18 and I woke up one day, went and cleaned my car and I went to the bathroom and I peed blood. And I was like, what the hell's happening? Like cue perfect panic attack scenario. And so I went up, told my dad, he was like, we got to go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital and on the way there, he asked me, I just need to know, are you doing drugs? And I was like, no, but I am interacting with a lot of cannabis. I might have said it smoking a shit ton of pot, right? <laughs> Again, language right. now versus language mm -hmm. then. But I saw him have a sigh of relief. And that was kind of strange to me because, again, like I knew my dad wasn't for it. I knew he also wasn't totally against it, but I didn't expect him to have a sigh of relief when I said that. Right. And so I noticed it. Now, of course, I'm still like going through my own anaphylactic shock type thing. So I noticed it, but I couldn't really pay that much attention to it. 
So we get to the hospital. I brought my laptop because I was like, I can't be in a hospital for like however long without anything to keep my mind off of what's happening. So I bring my laptop there. My dad stays with me the entire time I'm there. And I start showing him a lot of the uh, documentaries and things I was watching on YouTube at that time that about new science coming out about cannabis, about how it could help with cancer and all of these things and anxiety. And so he's sitting there watching these with me. And obviously there's scientists and doctors saying these things. So he's like, oh, I guess I was wrong. And that was it. Like there was no cognitive dissonance. And my dad was a pretty stubborn person. So I was like, I was like, this is the thing that you're not going to make a stink amazing. about. You know, it was That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was in school for psychology and so, because I was always fascinated with the mind and how this stuff worked, and that was really one of the gifts that anxiety gave me. Because once Are you I, you're an only child. Yeah, I'm an only child. I have a stepbrother and stepsister, uh -huh. but they never lived in the same household. So essentially, I was an only child. He must have really trusted your judgment. Too. Yeah, and you that's know, that's a testament to not only him but you. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that too. And you know, that's kind of what he reflected to me. Um, you know, when we were in the hospital, he was like, "Hey." I know you tried the pharmaceutical route. It didn't work, you know, because there was a lot of pain around that when I would go to him and be like, I feel so weird, you know, and things like yeah. that when I was using pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And so he saw me in school. I was fulfilling all my responsibilities. I had a job. And he's like, hey, listen, you're an adult. If this is helping you, then I want to support you any way I can in it. And so at that point- How much point, were you using it every day? Yeah, so or, roughly- I, Sorry, I shouldn't put every day. Yeah. How much were you using it? <laughs> so I was using it every day. And mm -hmm. I was using, at that point, probably about a gram a day, which is like- What's the, How much is that? It's probably like three joints a day that aren't like crazy fat, but like, you know, three joints a day, that one in the morning. That like a lot to me. It was a, it was a good amount, you know? Okay. And especially considering what I use now, it's an insane amount. Okay. And, and I don't even understand how I would use that much because- you know, and we'll get into this later, but cannabis and I now, like, I need so little to reach my desired effect because I go every week, and this is something I want to dive in with you too, I go every week without using cannabis, and I only interact with it on weekends. Yeah. yeah. And we can talk a little bit about the structure and, like, cool. how I found my structure with it. But, you know, after that happened, it was about a year later, and I went to the Boston Freedom Rally, which is in the Boston Commons, and it's this big public display of disobedience where everyone comes out, they interact with cannabis, and, you know, they, they have Boston. speeches. Yeah, it's yeah. very Boston. And, like, and it's funny because the cops are there, but as long as you're not doing anything crazy, they kind of just look the other way. And so I'm there. And I hear this guy yelling, who wants to make butter with me? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go over to this guy's little shop and see what's going on. So he was passing out these pamphlets for a basic eight-week semester for a cannabis institute opening near my house. And at this point, like, I'm in Boston. So decriminalization had passed in 2008. Medical was about to pass, or fingers crossed it was going to pass. God, I we're know. so behind in Texas. It's wild. Uh, like It really is. Because of everything Austin has here, like ketamine clinics, and then they don't allow cannabis. It's, I'm like, it's ridiculous. What is happening, you know? It's, and, it's so t such a Texas thing. Yeah, and it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting how different areas like Boston, I mean, like, I was surprised that they legalized. I mean, they we're fully legal now. Mm -hmm. And the same with pretty much all, I mean, even New York now has fully mm -hmm. legalized. So it's very interesting because New York, I thought, would be the last place to ever do that because they were so strict with it. And so... When I started getting into that school, I, I went home and I was like, Dad, I'm a broke college student. I really want to do this because at this point I realized I don't want to wear khakis the rest of my life. So I'm not going to be a therapist. Yeah, so fuck yeah, fuck khakis, you know, <laughs> leg prisons. I'm like, I don't want I mean, that. I sorry. Anybody wearing khakis, <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe you love them. Right. Hopefully they're stretchy material, yeah, you know, then they're, they're cool. Comfy. But we're talking like the classic leg prison khakis, yeah. you know. <laughs> Are you ready to up-level your pleasure practice? I have in mind, and one of the tools that I've used is from Wands. That's W-A-A-N-D-S. One of my favorite items that they have is the Cervix Wand. It is their number one best-selling glass pleasure wand 
for vaginal and anal de-armoring. That means more sensation. That means more getting in touch with your body. It's designed for cervical and G-spot stimulation, and it has helped thousands of women become more connected to themselves and their own pleasure while supporting them to heal pelvic pain through self-yoni massage. So if you are curious about getting more in touch with yourself, then I have an offer for you. You can get a discount using my code, Amy Edwards, but if you use the link in the show notes, you can get 20% off from Wands. They have so many other beautiful items to choose from with a large selection of 100% pure crystal pleasure wands. They create the most gorgeous, luxurious products that encourage you to honor your body, celebrate your sexuality, and live in pleasure, which is a big part of what we're about on this show. And yes, I use one myself. So go today to wands.com, that's W-A-A-N-D-S, and use the code Amy Edwards for 10% off, or use my link in the show notes for 20% off of your purchase from Wands. Again, my favorite is the cervix wand. It is trademarked and it is amazing. Take it from me. Check it all out and the reviews on wands.com. That's W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And use my link in the show notes for 20% off. So I went home. I told him and he was like, I'll do one better. I'll buy you a spot and I'll go with you and I'll buy a spot too. Now he wasn't connecting with cannabis. But my dad was always so interested in what I was doing. And it was funny because you know, I was into metal music, like music that like was really hilarious for a parent to listen to. Like Norwegian metal. Yeah, Norwegian death metal. Norwegian like, death metal. Yes, Have you listened yes. to the last podcast on the left? They do a great series about that. I don't oh, know if really? you like that podcast. Oh my God, that's amazing. It's great. Anyway, oh, sorry, so side cool. note. Well, I mean, I know you're a rock and roll musician too, yeah. so we'll definitely mm-hmm. nerd out on that okay, as well great. because that's how I was raised <laughs> with Pantera and I have all the Dimebag Dow guitars and everything. So we have a lot to connect with on that. And so it's funny because... <laughs> My dad ended up going to the school with me and he was like, listen, this is what you want to do. Like you're really into cannabis. And I was like, yeah, I really want to learn more about this because at this point I was fully obsessed with looking into the research and I still hadn't applied it. It was all intellectual. So I, I wasn't learning anything about shamanism or any of the right ways or conscious ways, I should say, in which to use the medicine. I was more so learning about the endocannabinoid system, the CB1 and CB2 receptors, sure. more of the science behind it. Where's your anxiety at this point? Yeah. So my anxiety is still there. Um, mm-hmm. It's still there and I'm still using cannabis to mitigate it. And when I look back on it, I think what it really was, was that I was going towards what society was pressuring me into doing. And what I should say, I was pressuring myself into doing, I'll take ownership over it, where I knew like, okay, at 18, I got to figure out what I want to do the rest of my life. And for me, you know, call it being a projector in human design or a five, one, the five is the heretic. So like anything I didn't want to do, it was really hard to make myself do. And so when I was working jobs, I would walk in the first day and be like, this place is going to kill my soul. Like, that's how I would feel. And other friends that were working there would just kind of be like, yeah, it's just a job, whatever. And I was like, I can't do this. But at the same time, I was telling myself, like, you're not normal. You need to do these things. So I think that's what was making my anxiety so frustrating at that point. Mm-hmm. Be normal versus your actual Yeah, follow soul. my heart. Yeah, exactly. And at that point, I had no idea about following my heart. I just knew my heart was an organ. That's pretty much yeah. it, you know? And so... Everybody wasn't talking about it then. It, what is this, 2010? Yeah, 2010. No, we it weren't wasn't. all talking about it. It yeah. was like Jersey Shore time and, you know, <laughs> it really wasn't was. it? Yes. Yeah, what so a, no. What a simpler time in many ways, you know? <laughs> it's like, good Lord, you know, what an 
an interesting time. GTL and be done. Yes, GTL and be done. Uh Oh, this is so amazing. Going back (laughs) to those times is so funny. And, uh, you know, it was funny because when I got into the school, I just knew like all of a sudden things started clicking where my anxiety started lessening. It was still there and I didn't know why it was lessening. I couldn't figure it out, so I couldn't replicate it. But I knew that like I'm going to the school, I feel better. Right. And then when I would go to uh, Bridgewater State, which is where I went for psychology, I would get really frustrated. Is that in again. Boston? Yeah, it's in it's in Bridgewater, which is like 30 minutes from Boston. Okay. And so when I would go there, because I was doing both at the same time, I would feel so like disconnected. I don't know how I would phrase it at that point, but I just felt frustrated. And so I would go to the school and I would just spend all my time learning. And so my father and I spent two or three years going there. How I ended many up, people were going there? Yeah. So I've never it was about, heard of a cannabis institute. Yeah. The only one I had ever heard about was Oaksterdam in California, which is now, I believe, still shut down. But that was like the only uh, cannabis school out there. And my instructor who led uh, the Grassroot Institute, he was a student at Oaksterdam. And they grew cool. in California for years, sold the dispensaries legally through the medical program. And then they moved back because they were originally from Maine. They're a couple of deadheads, really mm-hmm. cool people. And um, and so when they started teaching, you know, I got into it and they were just so cool and personable. And so I learned everything about organic regenerative agriculture, you know, started growing my own food as well as cannabis. And it was funny because the first harvest that I had had, I talked my dad into buying me a kit right before I went to cannabis school. And we tried our first harvest. I didn't know cannabis school existed at that point. So I tried it beforehand and the harvest was terrible. And so that's a big reason why when I mentioned I want to go to the school, he was like, okay, cool, let's do it. This is your hobby. You want to try it out. So because it was legal at that point to grow, you know, Mm -hmm. so I was growing a couple plants and, you know, mistaking everything and trying to figure out what I was doing. And so once I went into the school, I had this incredible experience where I learned how to grow. I really fell in love with the sacred union. And I wouldn't describe it at this point this way, but the sacred union of cultivating your own plants and then ingesting them, right? And like giving your own love and then getting that reciprocity back. Mm -hmm. And so after a few years, I ended, this is like 2014 now. I went to my first music festival. And at this point, I'm huge in electronic music and metal. So I'm going to a lot of shows. But this is my first festival. Mm-hmm. So I go out to Las Vegas. And of course, my friends are like, do you want to try MDMA? And I'm like, you know, at this point, I had been in clubs for years. I had just been saying no, the Nancy Reagan approach, because I had seen some really challenging life decisions that I wouldn't do for my own, you know, well-being. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge it, but it just wasn't the area that I felt safe to do those things in. Mm-hmm. So we go out there. It was all of our first time. We find a trusted source. We do MDMA. And I'm in the middle of the crowd, and I feel this really interesting feeling in my heart. Now, I didn't know what I was feeling, but I knew it was around my father. And I was like, oh, maybe I just miss him. I know this is a hard opener. Like, I knew enough about it, but but I had never had an experience with it. So I didn't know how to place it. Sure. So I kind of just left it behind and was like, okay, cool. So I get home, and on June 22nd, it was a Saturday, I walk out to my deck I go to open the door and I see my dad out there cleaning the pool and I knew something just felt off. You know, those times where like, you're just like, something feels different. Mm -hmm. And so I went out there and I started talking to him and he was being a little short with me, which is not common for him. And so I was like, Hey, what's going on? You know, did you get in a fight with mom? Like what happened? And he was like, well, I got some news. And I was like, what kind of news? He was selling his business at that point. So I'm like, did you sell the business? Like, cause it was right after the recession too, or about six years after. Mm -hmm. So like he was looking to sell it and just retire. And he's like, well, I actually found out that I have terminal cancer and they gave me two months to live. And so at that moment, I didn't know what to do with that information. Like I didn't know how to handle it. So I just stuffed it. And over the next two weeks, he elected to not do treatment because he had just finished bringing his brother 
like weekly for three years to Dana-Farber in Boston for his cancer. And so he had watched the process of what radiation and chemo had done to his brother. And he didn't want to stop smoking cigarettes. He didn't want to stop living life the oh, way he lived. Oh, he's a smoker. Yeah. My dad yeah. was too. Yeah. And he was a Coca-Cola mm-hmm. drinker and a you know steak and cheese sub eater every night. And They get set in their ways. Exactly. My and dad smoked till the day he died. <laughs> same. My dad literally, it got crazy because, you know, he, it started in the lung, but it went to brain too. Uh-huh. And it was all throughout his body. And so... For anyone who's gone through someone close to them having brain have, cancer. It's, oh, not brain. No, it's, but I mean, any cancer is brutal, cancer. but yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and brain cancer is interesting because the person, you know, starts changing. Mm-hmm. And so I would, my mother and I would literally have to be like doing shifts. Basically, she was nocturnal at that point. I would, I would pretty much be nocturnal too, because he would have these really weird sleep patterns. And then I would wake up in the morning and if we weren't watching him, there'd be a cigarette put out in the couch cushion. Like with him sleeping there, right? Like, so like really scary things, the stove being on all night, like he just wasn't in his right mind. And so it was a really challenging time. And so when I went through that, about two weeks into it, I said, dad, if you're not going to take treatment, can you at least try RSO? And what RSO is, is it's called Rick Simpson oil. Rick Simpson is the gentleman who brought this medicine into the main, uh, into the mainstream. Yeah, I think I've heard of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. he has this organization called Phoenix Tears. Okay. And basically, it's people curing their cancer and other autoimmune disorders and things like that with cannabis. Amazing. And so when I first heard about this, I was like, yeah, sure. People can cure cancer with cannabis. Like, I knew how powerful the plant was, both, you know, in my own experience with anxiety. But I was like, it can't cure cancer, can it? But when I was at the school, I was watching people come in who had their scans, and then six months later coming in again with no tumors. And it wasn't just cannabis. They were getting their life in order. They were drinking water. They were eating organic food. But it was helping in that process. And they Mm -hmm. weren't going through radiation or chemotherapy. And so I knew from my father, I'm like, it's probably not going to save his life because he's going to continue doing the things that gave him cancer. But I was like, if I can, you know, prohibit his pain, I'm like, that's the best thing because he was starting to experience Mm -hmm. some pain. So I started sitting with him when he would interact with this RSO, because it's a very powerful extract of cannabis. And he had only smoked that one time in the 70s. And so I was sitting with him to make sure he was comfortable, like he didn't have questions. And during that time, it was so profound because I got to connect to my father deeper than I ever had before. I got to hear stories from his childhood that I had never heard. I got to watch him connect deep with his grandchildren, his other children, my mother, and his own mortality. Like we could sit there and have a very like, uh, uh, open conversation about death. And it was kind of like this adventure instead of being this somber thing where he would be like, what do you think happens when you die? And I'd be like, I don't know. He'd be like, I don't know either. And I'd be like, are you excited? And he's like, kind of. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. I mean, right? you got to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what, a, what a cool thing to get to do with your dad. And yeah. I had a little of that. My dad did use some cannabis toward the end. He died from COPD mm. complications, you know, emphysema, basically. Mm. Um, and he just couldn't breathe anymore. But I, I hear you, you know, yeah. and we did get the opportunity to have some powerful conversations toward the end. Mm. And, and he did use some cannabis for pain management, too. Yeah. And it's amazing because during that time, I got to realize like, wow, like that allowed me to get closure around my father passing. And we were always super close. My mother and I are too. And so it was a really challenging time for a lot of his friends and family. I mean, he was, you know, it's where I get it from. He was Mr. Charisma. Like he had so many friends. Like he was the biggest gangster. Like he really was, you know, and it was just, he was such a- What was his name? Ah, Harry. Harry. Yeah, Harry. Yep. Or Sonny for short, you know. I love (laughs) it. I've never got how Sonny is a nickname for Harry. Like, I have no idea. I'm like, Sunny for sure, all right. (laughs) Much more mystery. I just went along with it, you know? I was like, okay, this seems legit. So during that time, 
I realized like I had this really profound experience with my father during that time where I realized like, wow, this is a side of cannabis that I don't think is getting out into the mainstream nearly enough. But this is what I felt in my heart was the true power of what cannabis brought to the table. But yet no one was talking about it. So I had no place to put this. Sure, they talk about the pain and um, alleviation and these other aspects, maybe a healing aspect, but not this like deeper connection that you're going to get with someone who's passing because my mom passed so fast. We didn't have the opportunity to do any of that. Mm. We'll talk about this more on your show. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, and I, I missed that. So what a gift. It was amazing. What a true gift. Yeah. And I realized at that point, I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. And at that point, I still wasn't into shamanism or anything like that, but I knew I'm like, there's something here. I was exercising. I was getting into the physical side of, you know, fitness and things like that. But I I knew there was something that I had felt that now I would say was spiritual and emotional and even mental, right, Mm -hmm. with my father. And so after that, dispensaries began opening around my house. And so I hounded the one nearest to my house every single day until finally the owner answered and was like, okay, yep, you've been calling every day. I'm going to walk you over to the hiring department right now. So I ended up getting in there. I work with over 5,000 patients in the next five years. And I actually, one thing I forgot to mention was that my father lasted a year later than the termination date they had given him. So during Mm -hmm. that time, we got to have that closure. But once I got into the dispensary, you know, of course, I'm bringing a different, uh, you know, a different skill set to the bud tender type industry where instead of just working as a patient care advocate with patients around cannabis, I was also asking them, like, how much water are you drinking? What kind of food are you eating? Are you meditating? Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. And so I really started to develop these amazing relationships with people that would want to come in and see me because they're like, hey, I have other questions Mm -hmm. because I was trying to help them see like, Cannabis is one component of a full holistic health puzzle that someone can do, but it's not everything. It's not going to be a cure-all. It's not going to do the work for you. You still have to live a healthy lifestyle and and be able to balance this in there because with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to really be self-aware to know like, am I numbing out with this? Am I running from things with it? And so- during this time, I started realizing that in order to really be able to speak how I wanted to speak about cannabis, I would have to leave the company that at that point I wasn't exactly loving anymore. We can get into that, but you know, the company that had really changed my life. Mm -hmm. And so I met Rachel there, you know, like there was so many big events in my life that had happened there. And so finally, uh, her and I went to this, uh, cannabis convention in Las Vegas called MJ BizCon. And we went out there because we were like, you know, we're going to find our own investors. Our company had been taken over by essentially like finance and Wall Street type people that didn't really care about the plant. They didn't really, they just wanted to know how much money. the dollar signs of marijuana. Exactly. They're like, well, projection said that this is the industry I I should get in. So I'm investing in this. And so, you know, I was having a lot of conflict of interest with them. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go to this convention. We're going to find our own investors and we're going to bring love grown cannabis to the world. So we go out there and it was just much more of the suit and tie game. And it was really like a mini dark night of the soul we both went through. And so on the last night, wow. yeah, it was yeah. like, it was pretty brutal, right? We were like, <laughs> we were, I thought we were going to come out here and get answers. And now we're like more lost than ever. And Vegas <laughs> conventions too are just like big ballroom yes. kind of, I don't know. It was, it was like a festival without any of the fun, you know, <laughs> it was like, it was like, I went in there to have fun and talk to people and everyone's like, how many grams per square foot can you grow? You know? And I was like, this is just kind of boring, you know? Yeah. And so on the last night, it was no uh, consciousness. Yeah, it was no consciousness. no consciousness. And so on the last night I was like, what do you want to do? And she was like, well, do you want to go to a strip club? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I had never been to one. She had never <laughs> been to one. So we were like, let's do this. So we go, we take a small Which dose of MDMA. Uh, we went to... That's um, right now. That's uh, no, it was the... Which, do you remember the name of it, Ray? 
the Palomino Club, okay. Palomino Club. And it was amazing. We went there and we had so much fun. We were just having conversations with all the strippers. They were telling us their life plan. It was amazing. We had the best time ever. And we took a small dose of MDMA before we went there. And so we're in there, we're having this beautiful time. And I lost track of time and we ended up leaving too late. And I was the one tasked with keeping track of time. And so when we left, Rachel was really challenged because she was working on this gigantic project for an Illinois dispensary, like a 600 page application, which you want to talk like what smells like office supplies, writing an application for a dispensary. That is like the last thing I'd ever want to do in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I saw her go through this experience and I empathized with her. And in that moment, I realized, whoa, I don't think I've felt my feelings in a long time. And then I was like, why? And the immediate voice that came to me was like, because you're numbing them out with cannabis every night. And so I went through this like really big identity crisis because I was like, well, this is who I am. Like, you know, I interact with cannabis. And at this point, I was only interacting with probably 0.2 or 0.3 each night to relax when I got home. I didn't like smoking all day. I hadn't been doing it in a long time. So it was a really big eye opener because I was looking at you people. You didn't like smoking all day. Why? Yeah, I didn't like it because for me, cannabis makes me a little um, out there. And so like when I'm connecting with people, like I like to be sober unless we're connecting with cannabis together. Okay. But like, say if I'm going into an environment where so like. So intentional. That's yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was funny because like. When this all got like dawned on me, I was like, but I'm following, I was doing it completely on intellect. I was like, but I'm following all the rules. I'm only interacting once a night. I'm vaporizing it. I'm smoking my own stuff. You know, I'm doing all these things. I'm healthy. I'm fat. I'm intermittent fasting every day. I'm eating all organic food. Why is this happening? But what I realized was I was in the cyclical loop. And for anyone listening, like you might be in this loop right now. And it's, I wouldn't say it's no fault of your own, but it's understandable because there is no guidance out there. But what I was doing was I would go to this job that originally I loved But at this point, I wasn't. I would get all the motivation and frustration and anger necessary to make a change. And then I would go home and numb it out with cannabis. And then I would would feel content because, of course, cannabis is feminine medicine. It provides comfort. So I would get comforted. I would go to bed. I'd wake up, be all frustrated, go through my day, come home. And I was just in this cyclical loop. Mm -hmm. And so when I got back from Vegas, I took a three-month break. And in that time, I started Highly Optimized. I started the podcast. Uh, I just couldn't ignore all the stuff that was already coming through me because I, I wasn't numbing it out anymore. And so through that time, you know, I ended up uh, leaving my job. I ended up starting my own business, doing the podcast, everything. And then I came in touch with this guy, Mark England, the guy in Virginia I was telling you about, who runs this amazing program called Enlifted, all about language work and how words create our reality. And so I was pouring. Ooh, I'm interested it's in that. It's so fun. Wow. It's, a, it's a blast. It's yeah. my number one modality I use in my coaching work, even with cannabis. Wow. And it's beautiful. It's Ooh, called, I like that. Yeah, it's called story work, and it's absolutely incredible. Okay. I can show you it. It's, it's yeah. really fun. And so what ended up happening was, you know, during that time, I was pouring my heart out on Facebook. I didn't even have an Instagram at that point. So I was just feeling these heart flows come in. I was like crying at music. I would, All my emotions were coming back online. And so, wow. Yeah. Were you so surprised? I was completely surprised because in my eyes, I'm like, I'm using the smallest amount of cannabis out of anyone I meet in my life at that point. Right. And so like, I felt I got this under control. And so when this started happening, it was this huge eye opener. And I started feeling a lot of purpose start igniting. That is so interesting. Because I'm thinking of specific friends right now that I know are in the cycle. Yeah. And that was something I really it's cool that you experienced all that because now, you know, you know. Yeah. And I can talk to these sacred cows within the cannabis world, right? Which is like, 
you know, if you go what to most, does that of, mean? yeah. So like a sacred cow for cannabis could be like, oh, you can smoke it all day, every day. You don't get cancer. It won't kill you. So you can never OD on it. Like these kind of things that allow people to think like, oh, there's, there's no downside to using cannabis all day, every day. But I'm here to tell you there, there can be, I'm not going to say there is because everyone's different, but I know for me, there definitely was. And for every single person I've worked with in the Connect with Cannabis program, our first week is uh, it's kind of like setting the foundation for a healthy, conscious relationship with the plant. And part of that is taking a three-day break. That week wrecks people. Like it, people come back like, I left my girlfriend. I moved out of my house. I quit my job. <laughs> I had a complete conniption. Like it, it's, it's the week that everyone goes, oh, it's just like taking a three-day break. No big deal. And then they come back like, what is happening? And so it's really powerful for most people. And one of the things that Paul Check says that I highly agree with is that anything you can't take three days off of owns you. A hundred percent. It's so big. Put it down to figure out why you're picking it up. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're interacting with something every day, you don't even know what you really love about it because it's part of your daily life. It's an absence that you actually discover what you love about something. And so for me, like, I, love that. I look at cannabis as a romantic relationship mm -hmm. where the same with Rachel, like if I'm with her every single day and we wake up the next to each other every single day and she kisses me the same way, makes my breakfast the same way, those kind of things. I take them for granted after a while yeah. until she leaves. And I'm like, wow, my sweet potato hash sucks. You know? And you know, they <laughs> like, say the same thing about music. They say when you make the pauses, it's the silence that helps you yes. hear the music. Yes. Same thing. You know, there's a great quote that I heard, which was silence is the language of God. Everything else is a poor translation. And so I really think that like in those moments of silence in between the notes, that's when God can speak through the music as well. Wow. And it's so profound because like what happened was, I got into Enlifted. I made a post one day and I'd heard Mark England on a podcast like three years prior while Rachel and I were in the cultivation room. And uh, we both were, you know, listening to the same episodes walking around. And so we'd meet up and go, wow, did you hear this guy? It's amazing. Oh my God. So I kind of forgot about it. And, uh, but I remember what he said about language. And so when I made this post on perspective, I just poured my heart out, no paragraphs, just like a bunch of words. And I, in there, I talked a little bit about how language creates our reality. Someone comments and goes, wow, that language stuff is really cool. Where'd you learn that? So I tag Mark England, didn't think anything of it. An hour later, I get a voice note from him on Facebook. And he's like, hey, man, I really like what you're saying. We should hop on a call. And I'm like, whoa. You're like, you liked my words? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, <laughs> my God. That's the ultimate compliment yeah, from him. Exactly. This is the God of language <laughs> telling me he likes my language. I'm like, this is cool. So I hop on a call with him. He's like, hey, man, you ever thought about being a coach? And I'm like basketball coach, like, like, sure. like fitness coach. Like I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. you know, he starts explaining to me what coaching is. And I start having this download of like, oh my God, this is what was missing from psychology. And I'm like, I wonder if this is where psychology comes back into my life a lot. Cause at this point I was still nerding out of it myself, but I wasn't using it in my professional world or anything. Sure. It's like those puzzle pieces that fit together. It's like we we're talking about with Rachel when she was saying human design, I don't yeah. know, I'm just do it for fun, but you know, yeah. It all fits together. Yeah. Things click. Things click. And so it was funny because, you know, once I uh, talked with him, I decided to sign up for the program. I started having all these wild synchronicities where when I got into the program at first, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for myself because I knew I had a big story around my father passing. And I yeah. had known from this experience without cannabis, I'm like, I got some emotions in there that I don't know how to get out. Because at this point, like, it's almost like if you look at the look at a word for long enough and you keep saying it to yourself, you don't even know how this to say it anymore. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like trying to feel like, figure out like, how do I cry? And like things like that are just when you know you're running amok. It's like crying is not something you try to do, you know? And so unless you're an actor or actress, but you know, so I get into the program 
And at first I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this for me, but I'm not going to be a coach. I don't want to do this. And then as soon as I keep going through it, Mark's like, Hey, I want you to do your first session by this date. So I'm like, all right. And he's just like, I'm not taking no for an answer. So I'm like, okay. So I get into it. I start doing sessions. I end up loving them. I end up taking level two right after I get in the pandemic happens. So like literally I had all the time in the world. That's when I left my job and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? The universe is like, here you go. Yeah. Here's a year of time for you to just (laughs) hang out and figure out what you want to do. I was like, what a great gift. And so I get into level two and I do that. And finally, Mark, uh, in August, he's like, hey, I'm having this party at my lake house uh, down in Virginia. You should come. So I'm not taking no for an answer. I'll pick you up at the airport. Let me know when your flight is. I'm like, okay. And this is, I love, this is what I love about Mark because he can, he can see things in people and he's uh-huh. just like, I'm not taking no for an answer. I, I know where you're going to go and I'm just going to get you there. And so, so I go down there and I meet all these incredible people that at that point I had seen on Zoom. They were Zoom icons to me. Mm-hmm. And so I meet all of them. And first, like what brought me there and what brought me into lifting was I was now starting to follow my heart. And I didn't know it yet, but I knew like, you know, the heart kind of speaks in whispers. And so I was, I was getting these feelings of just like, I just feel like I want to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I go down there, I have this incredible experience. And when I'm down there, a gentleman by the name of Chris Marhefka, who lives here in Austin. Yeah, I know Chris. Yeah. He was like, Hey, I'm hosting a men's retreat in two weeks. You should come. I'm like, okay. So I go to that. I go there. And I end up uh, meeting who, uh, the gentleman who's now my business partner, my good buddy, Alex Morningstar. And I end up hanging out with my buddy, Danny Rios, a lot there because we're both into medicine work. And he's from Mexico and he's, we're up late one night at like one in the morning. And he's just schooling me on all the coaching, marketing and whatnot because he's a, an absolute guru for these things. He worked with a strong coach with Mike Bloodsoe for a long time. And so oh. he's like telling me all this stuff. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going to Mexico in like a week after we get back from here. You should totally think about coming. So I call Rachel. I'm like, you want to go to Mexico? She's like, yeah. So we go to Mexico for like six weeks. And Alex, when I met him, was like, hey, in like seven weeks, I'm hosting a retreat in Oregon. I'd love for you to co-facilitate it with me. So I'm like, okay. So we go right from Mexico to Oregon. Mark's like, I'm doing a little lake house in October. We go back there. And literally for the last three years, I've just been saying yes to myself ever since and following my heart. And so through that time, I ended up hosting retreats and doing all of these things. And I was working with all these different mentors and you know, they'd be like, everywhere I went, people were so interested in what I did with cannabis. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was in the industry and kind of, you know, I'm getting into coaching now. And, and people were like, you know, you should do something with that. It was actually down at Mark's house. First time I went that I met Kimberly Kesting, who is one of Rachel's good friends and hosts retreats with Rachel. And she was, uh, we were talking about cannabis and she was like, you know, I feel like I could use like cannabis coaching. Have you ever thought about that? And I was like, no. And she was like, could we do a session real quick? And so I I walked her through it and it was really profound for her. And so that was my first little like, you know, insight as to like, Mm -hmm. this could be a thing. But it wasn't until a year later after I had like tried making three different programs about self-development, be your own guru, all of these things where I was getting stuck. It just didn't feel like I was following my heart. I know what that's like. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. I went to this retreat or I hosted this retreat on Martha's Vineyard, which is this beautiful island off the coast of Massachusetts. And uh, I had a cannabis workshop on the calendar. I was like, I'm going to do something with cannabis because I was doing cannabis ceremonies and things like that when I went to retreats. But I didn't want to do a ceremony because I knew that a lot of people going had already experienced it. So I kind of just left it blank. I was like, I'll figure it out. And so 10 minutes before this workshop went live, I had this download of a modality I now call the conversation with cannabis, where I have people uh, in a sober state, I have them write a letter to cannabis, owning up kind of like if you're in marriage counseling, you're owning up to all the mistakes, you're owning up to all the things you love about it. You're just leaving nothing on the table. Mm -hmm. And then you interact with cannabis and you write a letter back to the version of yourself that wrote the first letter with having cannabis speak through you. And so I came up with this idea and I was like, let's see if it works. 
And so I did it. Everyone had this wild experience. People were like, hey, uh, is there like something you're making around this? And I was like, I haven't thought about it. As soon as I get back, I'm on the deck one day drinking cacao, talking to Alex, and I start entertaining the idea of like, okay, maybe we should make a cannabis program. And as soon as I said maybe to it, the downloads just started coming in. And long story short, that's where Kaneko Cannabis was birthed. And now we've put five groups through the program. It's been unbelievable. You know, people have had such profound experiences. We have one gentleman in the program right now who cured his testicular cancer with RSO. We have another person who just went through as a nurse here uh, in Austin. And she's amazing. She works at Kuya, And we went and hung out with cool. her the other night. Yeah. And it was so much fun. And it's just been so amazing to create a community and realize that this way of looking at cannabis is really, I feel, the next step in the evolution of cannabis being destigmatized. Because, like I said, with great power comes great responsibility, and many people end up doing much more harm than good with it and end up numbing out the same way they would do it with alcohol or tobacco or whatever. But it's not talked about like that. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges right now within cannabis. Oh, for sure. Are you, Do you meet much resistance from people when you're like, because I'm sure they look at you and they're like, you're smoking all the time. Yeah. Tell me, you know, yeah. let me get enlightened. Let me get highly optimized. <laughs> yeah. with it, right? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. So uh, when I get on podcasts, people ask me, are you high right now? And I'm like, guys, I, like I could never get high and be on a podcast unless it was like specifically a goofy podcast where like it, it would everyone be, was for getting... me, it would be a very disappointing podcast yeah. from, from me. I mean, yeah, like, I would probably <laughs> I would... be like, what is wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably yeah. be forgetting a lot of my trains of thoughts and things like that because mm-hmm. Cannabis takes you out of your head and moves you into your body. And so when you're away from your mental processes, like you're not going to be able to have word articulation in the same way. You're not going to be able to do these things. Doesn't mean you can't, right? You can get into flows, but it takes a little bit longer to get into that type of flow. Now, if we were doing a podcast where like it was four people and we were interacting with cannabis and that was kind of like the idea for the episode, Mm -hmm. I imagine then I could probably pull it off because, you know, if I forget words, I could say, hey guys, you know, this is a cannabis infused podcast. But for me, like, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, people get triggered a lot and I, and I do it almost on purpose because I really feel like what triggers us is a huge sign as to what potentially is really useful for us in our lives. Yeah. And I'm here to say like, you know, I like to smash archetypes and, you know, cannabis has this lazy stoner archetype put on it. But at the end of the day, that's just more externalization of power. Cannabis doesn't make you anything. You make you who, how you are. And so if you interact with cannabis and then you become lazy, it's not the plant making you lazy. It's you giving yourself a permission slip to be lazy because you didn't do your end of the bargain before you interacted with the plant. Now, what your end of the bargain is, is really making an intention and actually having the discipline to move through and do what's on your calendar if you're doing it during the day or really live out that intention. Mm-hmm. So for instance, like, I use this salsa dance analogy where if you look at a salsa dance, the masculine role in that dance is to give the direction, to lead the dance. Mm-hmm. And the, the the feminine role is to express and to give the crowd something amazing to watch, right? But at the same time, if the masculine component of that equation does not give a direction and the woman's like, um, how am I supposed to lead this dance and express myself? Then it becomes really shaky. And so I use that analogy with cannabis where if we, whether we're male or female, are not providing that intention and direction setting for the plan, well, it's not the plant's job to know where we want to go. So when we don't set an intention, whatever is... It's the same with any plant medicine. Exactly. I mean... I can think of mushrooms, things yeah, like that, right? A hundred percent. And it's mm-hmm. funny because at least in most of my experience with other plant medicines, people are a lot quicker to set an intention. But, For sure. But with but cannabis, with this. Yeah, yeah, it's just not seen as this thing. But, you know, if people don't set that intention, well, then 
whatever's in your unconscious that's running around in there, your subconscious is going to get inadvertently made your intention. And so people are like, why am I experiencing anxiety? Why am I experiencing paranoia? That's one way. It's that they never can do it. even occurred to me to be intentional around cannabis. Yeah. And it's because <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it, no, but it's, it's true. It's so funny. And, you know, we really realized there's no user manual out there for this plant. So what Connect with Cannabis is, is the long lost user manual for interacting with cannabis. Because how amazing would it be if when you got introduced with cannabis, someone told you like, hey, all the things we've been talking about, make sure you set an intention, make sure you're self-aware enough to understand if cannabis is the right thing for you at this time. Honestly, I want my teenage daughter to listen to this and listen to what you have to say, because, you know, she's right in it. And I know she's tried it, or I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, (laughs) sorry, honey. Um, Actually, no, I think, I think it's very common now, right? But um, this seems really useful for kids to get intentional around it and to understand what they're dealing with. Yeah, because they're going to be presented with it. And if they don't understand it, they might just go, yeah, sure, I'll interact with it. And they might have a really traumatic experience that could potentially alter their course of life forever or like at best, just make them like never want to interact with this plant again that potentially could help them in some way, shape or form in their life later on if they Mm -hmm. learn how to use it in the proper way. And by proper, I don't mean right or wrong because I try to leave duality out of it. But the way I kind of view it is that cannabis can be used as a substance or a medicine. And I'm not here to judge what people choose to use it for. But if you're looking to interact with it as a medicine and as a teacher, then you must have an intention. That's the first step, you know? And then from there, when you have that intention and you have that anchor, it allows you to move into the surrendering process and then into the integration process thereafter. How do you help people break their patterns with it then? When mm. you when you have the people meeting resistance, I know three days off, but how do they break those patterns? Because those are pretty ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. And so really what the program is, is it goes through 10 different modalities, uh, everything from story work to flipping limiting beliefs to musical therapy. And it gets them more self-aware because what we really think and what I really believe cannabis is, is it can be a powerful tool for self-development and self-awareness so people can gain connection in their lives. Because a lot of times with many of the clients I work with, they're interacting with cannabis as a numbing for the lack of connection and meaning they have in their lives. And so what we do throughout the like program- just pulling it back further. Yeah, right? exactly. It's numbing them out from actual reality, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're just tuning out. And what it's I'm like the wrong s- direction. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you can tune in with cannabis too, right? You can tune deeper into your reality with it, but it's not a given. You have to work for it and actually allow it to be able to do that. And you have to be mm-hmm. co-creative in nature with it. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're not interacting with it as a medicine and as a teacher, well, then, you know, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time, you could end up doing a lot more harm than good. And with cannabis, what I've seen is that overall, the harm happens much slower than something like mushrooms or LSD, where you can like fracture your psyche real quick if you do too big of a dose. It's more of a long standing thing where people might just feel numbed out for 10 years at a time. And, you know, really what I found is that what we do in the program is we help people interact with cannabis as a teacher and flip the script on it. So then cannabis can show them and give them kind of like the breadcrumb tail as to how to follow their heart. And so like the idea is like Terrence McKenna says to get the message and then hang up the phone for a while, Mm -hmm. right? Like I said in the beginning, cannabis is not the thing. It's just the thing that you can interact with consciously to point you back to the thing that you're supposed to do in life. But I think when people have that flipping of the script, that ends up breaking a lot of those patterns because what we do throughout the program is we do a lot of coaching work we work with people one-on-one and in the group uh, container and we allow them to really figure out like, what are you looking to do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Then how can we create accountability on like, you want to be an art teacher? Cool. Sign up for an art class next week. Okay. They did that. Then all of a sudden as they start 
doing these things and taking ownership over their life, they're like, oh, I just am not interacting with nearly as much cannabis now. And it's very fascinating because, you know, I would have thought that it would have taken a lot more to be able to do that, but it's really just this guidance that we are able to provide for them from my own experience of going through this firsthand that has allowed people to see like this is possible. And most of the people I talk to about it are already well aware they're using too much, right? It's not their first time they've thought about it, but it's kind of like the thing they don't talk about because their friends using it are in the same pattern. No one really talks about it, but it's kind of like that awkward thing that no one really is like, should I say something about this? Mm -hmm. Plus, it's like you were saying, like, why do I, this is what you're supposed to do with it, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. at dispensaries, I mean, some of the culture there is really challenging because, you know, you go in there as a new user and there's rap music playing and like, you know, it's loud and, you know, it's fun. It's confusing. You, yeah, there's it's conf a lot of choices. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, you know, a lot of times people leave with the wrong product or they don't feel comfortable. And so that's why I would really take an initiative to spend an hour if I needed to or longer with patients. And that wasn't vibing with the new company because they wanted to have more people getting in and out. And I get it from a business standpoint, but it just wasn't vibing with me because I was like, well, how do I ensure that like this elderly lady that comes in is not going to like have a really challenging experience and have no one around when she goes through it to actually help her through it? I mean, like these are psychedelics, right? Like, you know, cannabis isn't viewed as a psychedelic, but it can produce hallucinations. So it is classically a psychedelic it might be mild in nature in some ways, right? At least when you're inhaling it, because it will leave a little bit quicker. But I mean, most of the elderly people coming in would want edibles. And so I'd have to really talk to them about how when you interact with cannabis in an edible form, it gets metabolized through your liver and, to, and delta-9 THC, which is the intoxicating or one of the intoxicating components of cannabis, gets converted totally into a different cannabinoid called 11-hydroxy-THC, which is 10 times more intoxicating than delta-9 THC. So edibles can be a really slippery slope, but a lot of people coming in wouldn't want to smoke. They weren't a smoker, so mm -hmm. I would you know, obviously advise them against it. And so they would want to try edibles. So I'd have to really sit with them and make sure they understand like your physiology is different depending on who you are. So I want you to try this a very small dose. And then like, you're going to be experimenting for a week before you probably ever get the experience you want. And it depends on like what you ate and yeah. everything else, right? Yeah. There's all sorts and, of factors. Yeah. And your individual endocannabinoid system makeup, because mm -hmm. even though we all have one, they're all different. And I think what's really cool is now in like the world of science and technology, they're finding ways to map out your individual endocannabinoid system to put a lot more structure and a lot more, um, uh, like less guesswork, I would say into the process, okay. because that's really what it is. I mean, you know, I would start people at a five milligram edible dose, which for anyone listening, it's like five milligrams. It's nothing. Oh, that's a lot for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean for me, I'm like, oh my God. No, that's yeah. Like, it's yeah. funny because like when we first started the dispensary, a starting dose was considered 10 milligrams. And oh I was my like, God. guys, no. even for me, right? Like a 20 milligram edible will absolutely rock me. I stay away from edibles most of the time because it's just too mm -hmm. long of an experience unless yes. I'm really going into a I ceremony and I have an intention so for it. So agree. <laughs> It's like if anyone's been interacting with cannabis long enough, they have an edible story in which their edible experience turned into an edible ordeal. I do. I've <laughs> yeah. got one. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's fascinating, you know, and these are the things that, you know, I wish someone had told me when I got into cannabis, because of course I found something to help me with, but I had no idea how to govern it in a way that was conducive to my well-being. And it ended up just becoming this part of my life where it wasn't the plant's fault. It was my own fault for not having the right tools on hand. And that's why I say that, for people that are interested in cacao cannabis, you should be aware of some sort of meditation and breath work and things like that. Because although we go into the full science of everything throughout the program of every modality we do, like for instance, for the nervous system exercise of how cannabis can help us relax, 
I broke down the entire nervous system because in order for someone to understand how cannabis applies to it, they need to understand all the different aspects of the nervous system. So we went through a lot of that. But if someone's not aware of these things, they enter the program, it's going to be a lot for them to really take in. I mean, the, the program is a sure. collection of like 600 pages of material because I, I wanted tell. to cover everything. You know? I mean, I can tell by your knowledge, <laughs> you know, you. like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And it was like, you know, what I really got into, but I was like, I want to give people everything, you know, and I, I tell people when they enter, I go, Hey, you might already know a little bit about the science of breath work or the science of manifesting or the science of, you know, musical therapy. So if you do, you can skip past that part a little bit because it is a lot of information, but I wanted to make sure to have everything in there so that it really did fill in that missing gap of the long lost user manual for cannabis and how it interacts with the human, like physical, emotional, mm -hmm. mental, and spiritual bodies. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Let me see. What else? Um, <clears throat> I think you kind of covered this, mm. but I wanted to just tap back into what's like the end goal. Is the mm. end goal not to use it at all? Yes. Is it um, to find that space like you have or where you're just sheerly intentional about it? And what's your own practice around that? Like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say that different people have differing goals. For me, I've been always called into medicine work and I've trained with a couple different shamans. I don't call myself that by any means because I need more training, but I've always been very fascinated with this world. And so for me, cannabis is the medicine that I interact with most frequently. And generally it's about one or two times a week. Sometimes I'll take a month off. I really do it based on feeling. What I use it for is when I'm, you know, I'm doing all of the quote unquote work daily, breath work, meditating, journaling, doing all the things. And so when I get stuck and I'm like, okay, I can't solve this problem with the same level of thinking that created it. Then if it's a weekday, I jot a note down and I dive into it on the weekend. If it is the weekend, I'll set an intention. I'll be like, hey, cannabis, I have a curiosity around this thing I'm getting stuck on. Could you please illuminate something for me for the next breadcrumb that I'm supposed to follow? And so I'll interact with the plant and I'll listen for the message. Now, the message might come as a download. It might come as an image. It might come as a synchronicity. There's many mm -hmm. different ways in which it comes, but that's how I'm using it these days. And like I said, there's times where I'm like, hey, I'm perfect right now. I don't need it for the next month. And I'll tune into it and just ask myself on the weekends, like, how am I feeling? Do I really need this? Is it something that maybe I'm falling into my old pattern about that it's the weekend? So thank God I can interact with cannabis and numb out. And the reason that I personally love doing the weeks with nothing is that what I found is that with my pattern, I was likely to unconsciously use cannabis to numb out stress and to be able to relax. And so through my weeks, that's the most stressful time of my life. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it's stressful, but it's the time I'm most prone to stress, put it that way. And so I know that if I go without cannabis on those five days, Monday through Friday, then I'm able to ensure that I'm not unconsciously interacting with the plant because I know that the number one way I did was just to numb out with it because I was stressed or whatever happened. And so I use it as like, I use that sobriety period of the week as like chum in the water. And I always say the analogy of like, you know, if you think there's no sharks in Cape Cod in the summer in Massachusetts, throw some chum in the water and you will really quickly realize that there's great whites there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I use cannabis all throughout the week, how do I know what like shadow aspects of me are coming up? Cause I might be numbing them out. And so through the week I can feel and figure out what's coming up for me. Like, oh, I have this really stressful belief about going on this big podcast or something. Okay. What's going on there. And then I'll dive in. And usually when we interact with cannabis this way, it can punch us. Right. And it's a very different experience where if someone's been used to using cannabis to like numb out, Cannabis can tune us in and actually give us a really challenging experience, like a dark night of the soul, where 
you can be like, oh, I have this perfectionism thing because I learned it through my father and, you know, it's been running my whole life. And it can be like big identity crisis that you go through. Mm -hmm. And so for anyone listening, like it's not necessarily easy to interact with cannabis unconsciously, but it is so much more fulfilling as I've found because now I'm not attached to this plant. I don't need it to live my life. I could easily go without it. I mean, when I was thinking about traveling out of the country when I was a uh, younger, it would be like, well, how am I going to get cannabis over there? It was this big thing. And now I'm like, I could do without it. No problem. Like mm -hmm. I have other things like my meditating, my breath work, you know, my, uh, my mystery school rituals. Those things are like what really keep me together. Cannabis is just something that if I really get stuck, I interact with to get just above my normal level of consciousness. Because now when I'm interacting with the plant, I'm not trying to get blasted, right? It's not about the high anymore. And you were talking about the means to an end. I think the biggest shift that people can make is that at first, like when I was younger, I was smoking as much as I could to see how high I could get. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot that's of super common. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of people might be doing this still, even mm -hmm. if they're older and not really realizing it, you know, like, oh, I'm not high enough. For that. Let me get more. But what I started realizing was that it's not about the high. It's about what comes through as a, as an effect of the high. And so what I realized was that if I get the more blasted I get, the more like kind of lost I become, right? Because then it's like almost too much medicine, right? It's like too much water. You can drown yourself, right? So mm -hmm. there's like a certain threshold I found where if I take a couple of hits off the volcano, I can get just above my normal level of consciousness to where a lot of those downloads can come in. And so I still have both my feet on the ground. I could still have a conversation. I could still cook dinner. I could do all my things, but I'm able to be able to get those messages that were just outside and then be able to start journaling. And then the real work starts when I come out of the experience and I start integrating into my sober reality <laughs> which is true for any of them any medicines i mean like yeah. it's those moments of integration yes. it's giving yourself that space that's been a big one for me it's you huge. know rather than going from thing to thing really taking the time in yeah. between and that's where the real work is done and that's been a whole thing i've had to learn yeah and it's like a, you it's a big thing right now especially like in the world of plant medicines as a whole mm -hmm. you know how many people are like I've done ayahuasca 65 times and they're like bragging a about lot. it. And I'm like, guys, there's nothing cool about psychedelics. There's nothing <laughs> cool about cannabis. It's not something you do to be cool, right? And huh, that can be we a- need to, We need to <laughs> like save that clip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, you know, for me, the psychedelics aren't the thing. They're just the thing that can help me realize what the next step of integrating into my normal reality so that my life starts taking on the magic of a psychedelic experience. That's what they're there for. Because I know for me, like when I'm doing podcasts, this is the best high in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So like nothing beats this. When I'm coaching, nothing beats that. When I'm writing programs, nothing beats that. So I think for a lot of people, the high might be the best part of their day. And yet, if they actually stop using it, they might realize that like, oh, I need to quit my job. I need to leave my spouse. I need to X, Y, Z. And that can be a real big challenge. And so, you know, I know for anyone listening, like these things are challenging. They're hard, right? And that's why we support people through the program, because there's a lot that comes up. And there's a lot of stored inner child trauma that comes up. I mean, there's so many things that I've seen come up. But at the end of the day, those things are your opportunities that if you choose to dive into them, you can dissipate them and you can have a higher quality experience of life, you know? And I think that's what the most beautiful aspect of these medicines are, is that they're not here to live our life for us. They're here to remind us when we get stuck. They're here to be a teacher the same way that you don't get taught by the same teacher forever. You learn what you need to learn. And then they're like, okay, you're going on to the next grade. Right. And maybe mm -hmm. you still have a relationship with that teacher, but like, you're not like going to them every day for the same problems. And so for me, what I noticed was when I was interacting with cannabis unconsciously, I wasn't doing me or the plant any service because the plant was kind of like, what are you coming to me for? Like, what is this? Right. And so it's the same way as like, 
if you have someone in your life that you love, but all you're doing is asking them for favors all the time, right? And you're kind of using them, right? Instead of connecting with them, what kind of relationship are you going to have? And at the same time, are they going to really let you in on their life? Are they really going to tell you who they are? And cannabis works the same way. Like the reason most people don't know cannabis interacts this way and works this way is because they haven't done their end of the bargain to actually allow the plant to feel safe enough to be able to interact this way with them because the plant's shy. That's what I really feel like. It's it's kind of like, I don't know how much I can show you because I don't know what you're willing to see, but it yearns to help us. It yearns to show us the challenges in our life so we can actually move through them. But that all happens in integration. And I think one of the other biggest things with plant medicines right now is it's about the PEAK peak experience. Like, oh, I'm going to do another ceremony, my third one this week or whatever it is thinking that that's the the totality of the experience. But the real gem and the real magic is when you can take your P-E-A-K peak experience and start having P-E-E-K peak experiences where when you integrate. Did yeah, you make that it, up? No, it, I heard it through my buddy, uh, Dr. Steve Young. Yeah. And when he mentioned it, I was like, this is amazing. I'm yeah. totally going to use this. And so it's like when you're in your sober state of reality and you're integrating, and say you sign up for that art class, right? And you go there and you have this profound experience and you have synchronicities or something like that. All of a sudden, your life is now a psychedelic, right? Yeah. Like you're not tripping, but like you're feeling the magic. And then from there, you're not thinking about needing another ceremony because you're integrating, you're figuring out, you're learning the lessons. Mm-hmm. And so that's why for me, like I tune in and I go, am I in need of a ceremony right now? If not, cool, I'm good. Because a lot of times like people can get stuck into the healing archetype too. And the more you dig, the more you're going to find in my experience, right? So I've been more, hearing a lot of people talk about that yeah. too, got, like getting stuck. I haven't heard it phrased like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. You know, like I, I saw it a lot and see it a lot within the coaching world and oh, the self-development world mm-hmm. where people are like constantly, I mean, that's a big part of why people are doing plant medicines. They're like, I need to heal. I need to heal. And yeah, if, whatever you put attention on is going to grow. So I believe we all yeah. have healing that we need to do, but how much are we supposed to do in what amount of time? Because it does take time to integrate this or you can traumatize yourself yeah. straight up. You know? And at what point do you just go, okay, I'm going to accept that I can be peaceful. Yeah, that I am and a in the present. <laughs> and yeah, and not in that healing archetype. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's amazing. I wanted to ask, um, well, actually, before we move on, mm. uh, why is it feminine? Yeah, so for me, I've looked into this. This is more of an indigenous culture, shaman way of looking at the plant. Yeah, because you know, Aya is also feminine. Yeah, and yep. then what's the grandfather? Uh, Wachuma and Peyote. Wachuma and yeah, Peyote. technically you. is a masculine oh, okay. uh, role as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, actually when I was podcasting with Josh Trent, he actually found a PubMed study that talked about the feminine component of it. I haven't seen the study myself and looked into it. But, you know, for me, it's an essence that I feel when I tune into it. And it's very similar to like, that's why a lot of times people end up being quote unquote lazy with it, right? Because they don't know how the plant works being feminine. And so what is feminine energy? It's contentment, it's comfort, it's care, it's connection. It's like being content where you're at, right? It's finding presence, it's all of that. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't know that and you're interacting with it unconsciously, then you can end up getting so much contentment that you don't do anything in life, you know? And that's why I say all the time, like, It's just that most people don't understand the language the plant speaks in. And I have three ways that, you know, I really view the language cannabis speaks in. The first one is it being feminine. And to be able to go around that, we set an intention, we give the experience a direction. The second one is that it's a mirror. And most psychedelics work this way, where it's going to mirror back your internal state of reality. And so when people say cannabis makes me anxious or makes me paranoid, it's 
kind of an externalization of power once again, because the plant's giving you an opportunity to take ownership over what's underneath the surface in your subconscious. Because when you're interacting with cannabis, you're moving from beta brainwaves into alpha and theta. And so that is the doorway to the subconscious. And so when we understand we're getting into the subconscious, what's living in there will be more present within our being. And so we have an opportunity there if we understand it's a mirror to go, okay, cannabis, I'm experiencing anxiety right now after interacting with you. Let me move through this, right? Let me let me surrender into this and actually like have faith in the process of this. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy, right? It might be simple to say this, but it's not easy. And I definitely give everyone credit that's listening to this because it's not an easy process. But if you choose to do it, it can open up so much of your world, right? And yeah. allow you to connect to your heart and soul so much deeper. And the third way that it works is it works with imagination medicine or as imagination medicine. And these are things that like I have come up with. So I can't show people studies on this. And what I always suggest is that people take what I say and they try it out themselves. Don't take what I say at face value, but try it out. And if you're interacting with cannabis already, try these as an experiment where you go, okay, cannabis, if you are imagination medicine, show me what imagination feels like. And the cool thing about imagination is that as the Bible states, and I'm not a religious person, but I know a good line when I hear it. (laughs) And so I like the Bible states that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first enter the mind of a child. And so what is the mind of a child? What is it, you know, can can situate it in? Play, imagination. Play, imagination, awe, curiosity, wonder, right? So when we're interacting with cannabis, we're all of a sudden, at least in my experience, not as concerned with being right, right? Even if someone's like, I believe in flat earth, you're like, just tell me why. Like, you know, you're not (laughs) so like, what? That's not true, right? It brings down a lot of those protector mechanisms in the ego. And so we're able to start imagining new realities for us. Now, most people don't do it this way. They just get into imagination. They don't really know what's there and they don't use it in this way. But when we look into Joe Dispenza's work, all of this stuff is about imagining a new reality before it's actually there. And so when you're in the subconscious, you're more access, you have more access to imagination. And from imagination, if you interact with it intentionally, you can start interacting with your belief systems and figuring out which ones you like and do not like. And then from there, you can start shifting them. And the great thing about belief systems is what we believe about life creates our experience of life. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done throughout the program is rope these kind of concepts in there and allow people to experience the imagination, the mirror, and the feminine components of cannabis in a way that allows them to get them more in touch with themselves and more aware of who they truly are and who they want to be in the world. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I've done that in my own, I don't even know if you call them practices, mm. but with cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. I wanted to talk to, I'm checking our time, we're doing good, <laughs> yeah. um, about how you guys use this in a sexual way, because mm. I know that's been very, um, I don't even know if I'd say popular, but it just seems like something that talk about people talk about a lot enhancing and yeah, you know, I love this question because Rachel and I were actually talking about it last night. Mm-hmm. So everyone's physiology is a little bit different with this. So for me, cannabis really helps with sex. Like it tunes me into my subtle energies. Mm-hmm. It allows sensations to be more present. And it also allows me to like, because I'm more my body to connect deeper. How much would you take? So what I would be taking is about two bags worth in a volcano. And I'd be using- I don't even know what a volcano is. Yeah. Oh, so it's a it's a digital vaporizer oh, okay. that blows bags. Have you ever seen the bags? It's a oh, big thing these uh-huh. days. But but. Uh, approximately for me, it'd be about 0.3 that I'd be interacting with. And it'd be with someone else, right? With Rachel, obviously. What is obviously. that in milligrams? Yeah, so it'd be that? like almost half a gram, you know? Oh. So it'd be like probably about this much, like one bowl pack in a volcano, essentially. Okay. And and what I'm using is strains high in limonene because limonene is a terpene that really accentuates uh, sensualness. It, 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 it First of all, it keeps you awake enough that you're not falling asleep with your partner. You don't want to go with strains high in like myrcene that are really relaxing and sedating because falling asleep in your partner is not attractive during no, sex. <laughs> and so it's funny because 
Rachel, on the other hand, she thinks like what, what her experience is with cannabis is that it actually disconnects her more from sex. Mm -hmm. And so we've been very curious about like, okay, what if I interact with cannabis and you don't? And then we've been able to balance that out. But what I would say is like a quick little tip and trick is that if you are looking to explore this realm with cannabis, uh, look for strains high in limonene, which if you're in a state like Texas, that it's illegal, it's really hard to do that because even if you buy black market cannabis, where are you going to get terpene testing done through? Yeah. And so if you live in a legal state, most dispensaries will have terpene uh, ratings or terpene content on the side of the bottle next to the cannabinoid, you know, content and things like that. But it is still challenging to be able to figure that out. Now, generally, strains high in limonene are going to be more euphoric and energizing. So classically, that might be viewed as like a sativa strain. Mm -hmm. But the thing with indica sativa hybrid is it's really outdated. It's more how I use it is more to describe the structure of a plant. So if a plant's growing tall and lanky, I'll say, oh, if someone's curious about a genetic, I'll say, oh, that one, my experience with it is it grows pretty tall like an equatorial sativa. Whereas if I have a short stout plant, I'll say, oh, it grows classically like an indica. But you can have plants that grow like an indica that get you energized these days and vice versa with sativa plants that get you relaxed because everything's hybridized these days. Nothing's uh, really heirloom or land race anymore unless you mm -hmm. really seek that out. And so that's the challenge within the realm of cannabis and sex. But in my experience, I mean, it is unbelievable what cannabis can do with sex. Do you think I mean, it's connecting you more to some of your feminine? Absolutely. And, and that's I, what, and she's probably like, we're already there. Yeah, she's already there. And <laughs> right. it's funny because, you know, as a man, I'm super connected my feminine side. And I think that's why I like cannabis so much and why I've always been drawn to it because it kind of, for me, allowed me to feel more of where I feel most comfortable. Like I do Muay Thai, I do masculine things, but it's always kind of goofy. Like I'm like, I'm not going to be a real fighter guys. Like this is, it's just not mm -hmm. my thing, right? I do it for, for fun and things like that. But I really love connection, you know, like collaboration, all of these more feminine type things that of course men do too. It's not necessarily looked at as like a feminine thing, but they are when you look into them, like connection and things like that are more mm -hmm. feminine than nature. And so for me, I really feel it connects me just more to myself and more to Rachel as well, where we're able to like, for me, like I'll follow her breath. Like I'll just be so much more mindful and present because a lot of times if I'm in a sober state of reality, especially after a long week of work or things like that, I'll be mindful instead of mindful, you know, like I'll have a full mind instead of being actually yeah. mindful. And so cannabis really helps me with that. And, you know, I found that because I'm lucky enough to be able to cultivate a couple of plants and be able to do that myself. And I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I work with very specific strains that I know, for instance, one's going to be high in limonene, one's going to be high in myrcene. You know, I have my Mm -hmm. My energizing plant where I'm looking to maybe be out in nature and do my ceremonies out there, have a, you know, a sex ritual with Rachel. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what we call them. And then I have my mercying one where I'm looking to really like lay down and be in a meditative state and go through an experience or maybe I'm listening to music. I have that strain to help me with that, with that as well. Do y'all use words and stuff during a sex ritual? Like, what's that like? Yeah. So, really, all we're doing is interacting. Are you cool talking? You're cool oh, talking. You're, you'll talk I'm about anything. Book. Yeah, okay, I'm an open good. book. Me too. Okay, good. <laughs> this is why we get along so well. You know, I'm <laughs> like, know, please right? ask me anything. Just say it. Yeah. And so, a little bit of what we'll do is, you know, we'll burn sage, we'll burn Palo Santo. I have a certain party light, you know, in our bedroom that we'll turn on. And then yeah, we we'll, have like a universe one. Yeah, know, it's so fun, mm -hmm. you know. And then sometimes we put some light music on. We kind of feel it out. You know, there's certain uh -huh. times where, Maybe we're uh, getting into a little more like dirty talk and things like that. I'm like, okay, no music, right? And then there's times it's more sensual, we'll put some light music on. But it depends on kind of like our vibe of how we're getting into it. And it also depends on when we interact with cannabis, kind of like how it hits me. Sometimes I get into like Neanderthal mode, right? Where I'm like, I want to be in the warrior right now. Mm -hmm. And then other times I'm more in the lover archetype, right? Where mm -hmm. it's more sensual and more slow and things like that. And so it's funny because... When we actually make uh, that, when we grind up the cannabis, we always smell it first because it primes the old 
olfactory system for the experience that's about to be had in the body. Mm-hmm. So it gets you, it's kind of like activating your muscles, right? They're like, oh, I guess something's about to happen. They're stretching everything, right? Totally. That's <laughs> the same way thing I do with Palo Santo and stuff. Like just smelling it yeah. cues me into my breath, cues me into slowing down and what I'm doing in that moment. Yeah, it's so fun. Mm-hmm. And so after we, you know, prime our olfactory system, we uh, we pack the bowl. And when we make the bag, I always say, what's your intention? And so we set an intention. If we're doing a sex ritual, it'll be to really connect deeply, to have passionate love making sex, you know, all of these kind of things. And then we'll interact with it. And then once we actually get into it, then we'll either start with a dance party first. This is a lot of what we do because Rachel's been learning a lot through Kim and Ami and, you know, uh-huh. other individuals about like things you can do before having sex to connect deeper because Rachel's very sensual. And I've been learning a lot from her in that side of regard, you know, because as a man, right? Like, you know, of course, with pornography and things like that, which I watched when I was younger, you you're learn just, a really weird... You're just ready to stick it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And guys, we can be ready in three seconds, know. you know? So it's really fun because now I've seen this as actually a really fun thing where it's almost like, you know, I, 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 get, I get to work for it, you know? And it's the same with her too. We get to like tease each other throughout the weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's why we love having a sex ritual every Friday night because then all week we're building each other up for it and we're kind of waiting for it and we know it's coming. Today and when we... Friday, Friday. Yeah, today is Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank like, you for reminding I already me. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I've been planning this all week, you know? And so it's funny because once we dance, there's a certain part where we just end up in bed and then we go for it. And mm-hmm. it's so exhilarating. And it's really amazing because for anyone listening who's been in a long-term relationship, we've been together five years. And so what are you going to do to spice it up? A lot of times people think about adding things in, right? Like, okay, we'll go to the sex store and we'll get these kind of things. But a lot of times it's actually a subtraction that I found has allowed us to connect deeper. We interact with cannabis and we're not doing anything necessarily new, but we're connected in a unique way. And so everything is like it's the first time again. And that's been really exciting. That's amazing. That's yeah. beautiful. Thanks <laughs> Thank for sharing you. it too. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Do y'all do any intentional work around manifestation in those moments too? Yes. So that's one thing, especially uh, surrounding sex that Rachel and I have been diving a lot into. And one of the things she's learned, and I you know, read Way of the Superior Man and things like that, about how when you're orgasming, it's like the yeah. ultimate manifestation time. Mm-hmm. And so we've been experimenting with things like that. And the cool thing is that because we're doing mystery school rituals every day and we're doing Joe Dispenza meditations, we're like dreaming constantly of what we want. We're setting those intentions, combining them with the elevated emotions. Mm -hmm. And then we know going into that sexual experience when we orgasm, we're having that like, okay, we know exactly what to think about because we're doing it at least twice a day with the rituals and then once a day with the meditation as well. Yeah. And so we'll be manifesting our, you know, 4,000 square foot house in a lake that we want. You know, for me, it's $40,000 months and highly optimized. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all these things that like, we're not only thinking about the, the the quantifiable like goal, but we're imagining the feeling. And so we're connecting that feeling to the feeling of orgasming. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool. That's been something that I've been nerding out in recently because, I mean, this whole trip in Austin is part of my manifestation that's now come to fruition. So it's like wild because we hear so much about manifestation. But like when you have the direct experience of it versus just knowing it's a thing, it's a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the world overall right now is a lot of intellect and a lot of people that know a lot about a lot of things, but they've yet to have the direct experience of it, which is where you can actually apply that knowledge. And once you've had the direct experience, like there's a great quote from one of my favorite books uh, called Cannabis and Spirituality, where one of the authors goes, because it's different authors throughout the chapters, he goes, 
you know, I remember the first time I interacted with cannabis, I didn't have to read in a book that the heart chakra existed. I could feel it, you know? And like, that's what I'm talking about. Like when you just feel these things, you don't care if anyone thinks it's false. It's like, cool. Hey, maybe it is false in your reality. We all create our own reality. So you're not as worried about making people right or wrong or any of these things, because that's more based in intellect. You know, it's more like we've been using scantrons in school for years. So it's either a correct answer or you're wrong. Right. Yeah. But life is so much more complicated than that. It, well, that <laughs> reminds me of, I think it's in conversations with God when he talks mm. a lot about how religion is telling us how to feel versus just going straight to the source and that we have the power to connect with God, universe, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's so powerful and profound. And I know like what I've realized in interacting with cannabis and other plant medicines is I'm actually now like because of the one line of my human design that Rachel taught me about, you know, I'm an investigator. So unlike the two line where the two will get obsessed with one thing, but it's kind of like a healthy obsession. The one is like, I need to know everything about everything. And so what can happen is that when you're thinking you're going to know things about things, and then you're interacting with them with that, when I look at a book, my old pattern would be like, oh, I'd look at a book and be like, oh my God, that's too thick of a book. It's going to take me too long to read. And I need to be at the end very quickly. <laughs> so that's like kind of how my pattern would play out. Now I know that I'm not going to know anything at all throughout my life. I'm just here to curiously observe and have my own direct experience and share my experience. And if someone likes it, they can take something, try it out. If they don't like it, cool. It's your own reality. So now that I've been able to liberate that for myself, it's been so profound within my experience of life because now I just go to generally what my heart's calling me for. And I'm not worried about reading books on quantum physics or things like that because I just need to know them. But in reality, I'm going to what my heart calls me for or calls me into and knowing that I'm not going to know even when I read the book, I might have a better idea of how it applies to my individual experience of life. But if I talk about it with someone else and they go, that's not true at all. Well, then who's right or wrong? It's like, it's not really either, right? It's like, it could be right and wrong, but just right. for different people's experiences. Right. <laughs> it's right. the same with cannabis, you know, mm -hmm. like, that's why I always say cannabis and other plant medicines, they're not meant for everyone. And that's why I said earlier, like, they're not the cool thing to do. There's just certain people that are called to them at certain points in their life. And maybe it's something that they're called to for a certain component of their life and then never again. Or maybe they're called to it their whole life. Who knows, right? But it's just one of the rivers that can take you to the same sea that many other rivers can take you through, right? Breathwork, meditating, exercise, you know, anything can take you to this realization that really what I believe is that we are God experiencing itself. We're not the God, right, with a capital T, but we are an expression of God. And everyone else is and everything is too. And so when I'm learning from someone or I'm having a conflicting view with someone, I'm not so worried about making myself feel right or them wrong or, it's, or anything like that. I'm more interested to figure out like, why do you believe that, right? And maybe I like that more than what I believe. And I'm like, I want that, right? And I'll take their thing on. But when you can live life in this way, in my experience, it just makes it so much less pressureful, right? Like you can take the pressure off, stop taking yourself so seriously. I know I'm not going to know anything at the end of my days. And that's like the beauty because now I get to be liberated and be in the mind of a child because children aren't worried about how many times they ask why. They're mm -hmm. just curious. You know? And you know, as you were saying <laughs> that, I was like, that goes right back to the mind of a child, Yeah, which I am struggling with something in my own life right now a little bit. And I just, the other day I was like, why am I taking it so seriously? Yeah. Just back off and have a good time. Just quit taking it so seriously. Yes. Laugh, have a good time because it's not that serious. Yes. And I'm building it up and making it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's so I funny, digress. you know, because that was one of the funniest downloads I got in the plant medicine experience. And, you know, it's funny because when I first started getting into plant medicines, you know, cannabis being one of them, but really like mushrooms and LSD and things like that, I kept thinking like, I'm going to have some profound realization that's going to be incredible. But what you understand and what you come to learn in shamanism is that depending on what uh, spirit you're interacting with, like for instance, with cannabis, it calls on a lot of spirits. And so 
A lot of times it can be a lot of interference, which is why a lot of ayahuasca rows, um, they say not to interact with cannabis a month before you interact oh, with yeah. ayahuasca because mm-hmm. it's just too much interference, right? There's just too mm-hmm. many spirits. But if you look into Hamilton Souther, who's an ayahuasca rowe, but also a cannabis shaman, he has this method for before you interact with cannabis, you make the intention to call upon the highest spirit, right? The, high, the spirit that's in the highest regard or the highest evolved spirit. I forget exactly how he says it with cannabis. And so when you're able to understand these things, you realize that to the degree that you're interacting with a high level spirit of whatever plant you're interacting with, the answer is going to be shorter and shorter, right? Like the profound realization. So like for me, one of the most profound realizations I ever got within the plant medicine space was just stop taking yourself so seriously. Yeah. And it rocked my world, (laughs) right? And so like a lot of times when you're hearing these things on loop, like, you know, you might be getting the same message over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. It probably means the lower level spirit, you know, is what I've understood from shamanism, you Mm -hmm. know? And so it's so fascinating understanding these things. It's kind of like, oh, it's still magic, but there is kind of a process here, right? Like, and what I always say is that, I think science and spirituality has this weird thing where they're like, no, uh, it's all science. No, it's all spiritual. It's like, what if it's two sides of the same coin where science is magic? And so that belief that because it's defined as science makes it not magic is just obsolete and weird because the light bulb might be, there might be science behind it, but it's still pure fucking magic to me anyway, you know? And so, and so, I mean, what classic woo-woo or any of the stuff we're talking about with shamanism is just science that's yet to be understood, right? And it doesn't make it any less magic, but it's just like, it's just another side of it that we've yet to look into. So that's another like well fascinating said. thing that I just like nerd out on. And I get so like, wow, that's like really profound and crazy. I don't even know what to do with that information. <laughs> You're really good at verbalizing concepts. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You really are. I don't know if it was natural to you or if you studying with Mark helped with that or what, but. So one of the things that did help a lot was, um, I used to be a machine gun fire talker where I would talk like this all the time. And it was really intense for people. <laughs> and I would just be like on cloud nine, I'd be intermittent fasting. You know, I'd maybe pop some Kratom or something. And I'd be on level like a hundred and at the dispensary, people would come in, you know, like at nine in the morning and I'd be like, like rocking cause I already worked out and did all my stuff. Sure. And they'd be like, calm down. You know, like you're like, going too fast. Bring it down. Yeah. And it's one of the first things Mark helped me with. He's like, Hey, it's not bad to be a fast talker some of the time, but you want to be able to have like a flow where sometimes you talk slow and if you get excited, you can ramp it up and then you come back down. And so that's helped a lot. And then, uh, when Rachel and I met with a psychic named Pam out of San Diego, she told me that I'm ruled by psychology. And so being a projector in human design, one of the ways in which that ruling of psychology gets projected is through my voice and through, you know, being able to use language as my main form of power. And so learning human design and working with psychics has really allowed me to be like, oh, maybe that's why I work the way I do. It's probably why I have two podcasts, you know, like, it's like, I'm like, oh, when I realized the projector thing, I was like, no wonder this, like, I feel attacked. This, this solves a lot of problems for me. <laughs> it's good. It's good when you make sense of those and you just yeah. understand yourself more fully. Yeah. So, so fun. Uh, so fun. And yeah. as we wrap up, I just want to turn the floor over to you and say anything that we missed or anything that was really on your heart that you really want to either reiterate or say before we go? Yeah, great question. You know, really what I would say is if someone listening is like, this sounds great, where the hell do I start though? Mm -hmm. Right? Like the three-step process I have for bringing your relationship with cannabis from the unconscious into the conscious is a great way to start. And pretty soon we're going to have this all laid out in a free PDF called the the Conscious Cannabis Workbook that anyone can download and get a like a literal set of classes basically from me of me explaining all this. But a quick and easy step process is 
The first step is just setting an intention, right? Mm -hmm. And then creating a ceremony from which that intention can play out within. So what this might look like is say, before you're interacting with this plant, you're saying, cannabis, I'm looking to, I have a question, right? I have a curiosity around why I'm I'm experiencing social anxiety around some of my friends. So you set that intention and then you create a ceremonial space. And what this could be is burning sage, Palo Santo. I love doing seven directional prayers to create a sacred space, creating an altar, just having a set and setting or rather a setting in this component that feels conducive to comfort and safety, right? Like I think that's where a lot of people get messed up is they interact with cannabis in social situations. That's not inherently bad, but if you're looking to do deep medicine work, you probably want to be either alone or with one other person and really be doing this as a ceremony. So that intention and ceremony is the first step. And then once you have that anchor and you have that place from which you can play out within, you can move on to the second step of surrender. And surrender is something that triggers a lot of people. They're like, what do you mean surrender? I like control. But it's scary when you don't know what you're surrendering into. But once you have an intention and you know consciously that you're interacting with this plant, well, then you must understand that this plant is going to have communication through you. And so you must surrender to allow the plant to actually communicate to you, or it's just going to be too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like your mind's going to still be on, you're going to be trying to fight it. And so once you're able to surrender, if you're able to do that successfully, and by surrender, like, I mean, lay down and just connect with your breath. And anytime it gets challenging, continue to come back to your breath and realize like, okay, say if you have an intention to be happy at the end, and then you're experiencing anxiety. Well, if you didn't make that intention, you might be like, now I'm experiencing anxiety and I have no idea what's happening. But if you have that anchor, you might be able to go, okay, while you're in the experience, okay, I made an intention to be happy. Maybe this anxiety is what's standing in my way. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to face. Maybe I'm purging it. Exactly. And so it it allows you to see it more as happening for you. It allows you to see it as all part of the process. And then once you're able to surrender and you have your experience, the third step is integration, right? That's where the real work begins. Mm -hmm. Because from there, you're taking that PEAK experience and going, okay, what did I learn? And now, like, say, for instance, you realize, like, I'm not happy with my partner. Well, now you got to go have that challenging conversation to figure out, can we work on things? What part of this is me? Maybe it's all me, right? Like that could be a really challenging thing. I've had that happen with Rachel before where we've had a disagreement and I sit in the cannabis and I'm like, fuck, it's all me, right? And and so like those things happen. But, you know. I heard recently, I shared this on another podcast, but <laughs> when you're, when you've figure out you're the asshole, then you know what needs to change. So it's a really good thing. Exactly. (laughs) And all of these things, it's so funny because they sting for about five or 10 minutes. But once you start getting used to it, you realize there's a world of liberation on the other side. There you go. And it's like playing the victim sounds cool in theory because I'm not to blame for anything. I have no control over my life. But when you actually say that statement again, I don't have any control over my life. It's like that scene in Home Alone where he's like, I made my family disappear. I made my family disappear, right? Mm-hmm. It, like it hits you where it's like, I don't want to have no control over my life, right? I want to have some sand and I want to believe it's all happening for me. And so once you're able to integrate, well, then you're actually able to experience the real medicine cannabis has or mm-hmm. any other plant medicine, because then your life starts experiencing the magic you feel within the experience. And then you're not drawn to interact with as much of it as you needed before. Amazing and how that works, right? Yeah, exactly. Amazing. And then you can be another voice that goes out and shares with people like, hey, it's fine if you want to interact with cannabis all day, but what's your purpose for it? Because I've met some people that interact with it all day and they do weeks or you know months of that and then they take you know months off and that's their way of doing it. So once again, it's like, 
I'm not here to tell people what they should be doing or how much they should be interacting with. I'm here to give awareness that there's many different ways in which to interact with cannabis. And if you're feeling these things that we talked about today, like, oh yeah, I feel attacked. I feel some of this. Try it out. See what happens. Yeah. You know, and I'm always and just here for pay support. attention. Yeah, just pay get attention. conscious about it. Get curious. Get right? curious. <laughs> right. Again, yeah. that's that child mind. Just ask why. Just get curious. Yeah. Don't be so attached to it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, in terms of where people can find me, um, thank you so much. Oh, that's for, my next yeah, question. Yeah, right, Don't perfect. even worry. Cool. Yeah, I got it. That's my <laughs> oh, next yeah. question. Yeah. I want you to share all your links and how everyone can find you and follow Beautiful. you and get the free PDF maybe yeah. down the road. Yeah. Depending mm-hmm. on when this goes live, we'll have it ready in about two weeks. Cool. So depending oh, on when yeah, it goes live. It should be, yeah, then we should be good. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'll be able to download the free Conscious Cannabis Workbook, cool. which will have that three-step process and the three ways to understand cannabis. And it will break it down a little bit more in depth um, just for people to be able to pull a little bit more from it. And then if people want to connect with me, they can find me on Instagram at the Real Ryan Sprague or on my business account at highly.optimize, where we're constantly giving out tips and pieces of advice as to new tips and tricks to do with cannabis. And then we also have a free Facebook group that we're transitioning soon over another platform, but right now it's on Facebook called The Ceremony Circle, where it's a place for people to just talk about what their experiences with cannabis have been. We host weekly lives in there where it's actually a Zoom chat where anyone can join. They can hop in, they can have a voice, they can speak directly to me, they can ask me their questions. You know, I start with about 15 minutes of me popping off with something that's been coming downloaded the me about cannabis and then we just open up and it's really an off-the-cuff podcast with whoever's there fun and so then the two podcasts too um you can find them on spotify apple pretty much any place podcasts are found that's the highly optimized podcast which showcases conscious leaders living a life beat of their own drum which you're going to be on right after this i'm I'm so excited excited. and then i have this one time on psychedelics which if you like diving into the rabbit holes of magic and psychedelics and the occult and everything that's your place where we dive into the true firsthand experiences of the benefits risks i want to be on that one too oh yes we'll do both (laughs) (laughs) and you know we dive into these things so people can really hear the full spectrum of what can happen within psychedelics because I really feel right now with this rise in popularity, a lot of people are singing the praises of psychedelics without talking about the challenges. And I think that in order for people to use discernment successfully, they need to be able to hear like, like some of the stories I had on with Josh Trent, for instance, yesterday, where he like literally almost lost his mind with ayahuasca. And so like those kind of things where it's like, hey, you might hear these things are popular and people are doing them, but really use discernment to figure out if they're right for you because they can do a lot more harm than good, especially if you're not self-aware enough to really understand if these are calling you or you're just falling into what other people are saying. Wow. And so, yeah, you can find those pretty much anywhere podcasts are listed. I'm going to um, have links to everything in the show oh, notes perfect. so cool. people can just go <laughs> connect right there. And so awesome. no problem. So <laughs> I want to say a huge thank you for being here today. Yes, thank you for having this me on. This just so fun. fell into our lives yes. and here we showed up for it. Yeah. Yes. That's how it's done. That's <laughs> yes. how magic is created. Yes. So thank you so much, Ryan. I'm thank just so, so much, grateful. Amy. And yes, the way you too. showed up and just everything that you're putting out in the world, I'm so excited to share it and thank share your you. voice. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. This has been the Amy Edwards Show from Overcome Studios. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much for being here. Sign up for our newsletter at amyedwards.com.